and welcome to another episode of Daf Shui, Weekly Daf. Give me 40 minutes or so and I'll give you a Daf or so. Today's Daf seems, I don't know, especially fraught for me. Maybe that's why it's so late in the week when I'm recording it. But the first kind of discussion is about um, non-Jews, whether or not you can believe a non-Jew. We talked a little bit about how Akum, idolaters, became Goyim, non-Jews, in Season 2, Episode 4 on 19B-20B, if you want to go back and take a listen to that. But that's a different question. Here the question is more relationships, relations to non-Jews, and the fact that in some way, Jews felt they were exclusive, but because they were living as a minority in a majority world, also, uh, relationships were fraught, though they weren't completely fraught. In other words, we'll see that there are some relationships were okay. They obviously knew that they were going to deal and do business, and they didn't promote cheating non-Jews or being fraudulent. Just they didn't give... Non-Jews did not get the same benefit of the doubt, like Amigo, but more like non-Jews were not given the same benefit of the doubt in court, and non-Jews were not given the same benefit of the doubt that they were believed about Chazakah, that they had lived on the land for three years, though they were believed if they had a shtar, they had a contract, which backed up their Chazakah. And the second discussion is about slaves, which is more fraught, especially, I think, because of this moment in which we are just blatantly facing, looking in the mirror at ourselves as, as white Americans, or those of us who are white Jewish Americans, and white Americans more generally, that this country was built on slavery. And even though one could make the argument that slavery in late antiquity was not the same as American slavery, it was both chattel slavery, to whatever extent, even though there were these rabbinically limits on what one could do to a slave, limits on the abuses, it's pretty clear that people violated those abuses, otherwise there wouldn't have been laws necessary to say that you couldn't violate them. And the fact that the rabbis, the discussion of slavery is not, the point of the discussion is not whether or not there should be slavery, but rather the slaves are just a moment in a discussion about something else. And so that at this moment feels especially fraught to me. I want to name that. I also want to name that uh, I'm not going to skip it or erase it. And I'm, I'm unclear about exactly where that fits in. At a certain point, slavery just stopped in the Jewish community. There was no ban on slavery in the Jewish community. Like there was a ban on polygamy in the Ashkenazi Jewish community, but there was not a ban on polygamy in the Mizrahi Jewish community. But Slavery just stopped like it stopped elsewhere, though there were slaves for as long as the surrounding culture had slaves. So, there you go. No great insight, just thinking about it. And the real topic that the Gemara puts forward as a topic is not this moral quandary, but actually the question of of what chazaka means. What does it mean to own? What does it mean to own anything? But especially, what does it mean to own property? What's the difference between property that doesn't move and property that moves? That's where the question of slaves comes in, along with the question of animals and other things. And the problem is, of course, as we've mentioned a couple of times, it's hard to figure out how to own property because property is, um, you know, it's not something you just take home. Not something you could uh, pick up and put in, in, in your bedroom or office, wherever you want to keep your property. So 
that's why the conversation itself is both interesting and, uh, you know, somewhat up in the air. And there are also some technical issues here, which are a lot of fun. And there we go. Okay, so we're going to start on 35B, about five lines from the bottom in the edition of the Talmud that was originally typeset by the brothers and the widow Ram in Vilna, Lothi's 150 years ago, in a brick building that still exists. Here we go. I'm a Rabbi Yehuda, I'm a Rav. So Rabbi Yehuda said in there, Rav, now this is also at the end of this casebook that we did afterwards. Then there, there are going to be three statements, three Rabbi Yehuda statements. First one is Rabbi Yehuda in the name of Rav. Rav, one of the two founders with Shmuel of the academies in Babylonia, and Rabbi Yehuda, one of the, their major their major students. So uh, there are three of these statements in a row. And the second one we'll see is a set was a statement that we already saw in the previous as, as tied onto tied up with the casebook um, statement. So whether or not this probably came first, but whether or not it came first and that came afterwards and was taken, that's an interesting editorial. Those are interesting questions in the history of the Sugya. Okay. I'm Rabbi Yehuda, I'm a Rav. Rabbi Yehuda says in the name of Rav, Yisrael Abba Mahmad Goy Harehu Goy. A Jew who comes in the name of a non-Jew is like the non-Jew. Is well, it literally it says is a, is a non-Jew. But what does that mean? So just as a non-Jew does not only has only is given the presumption of ownership of a chazaka with a deed, so to a Jew who comes. In the name of a non-Jew, meaning a Jew who says that I bought this land from a non-Jew, only has a presumption of ownership if he has a deed. So what is this? Why is this? So Amarava, we'll see from the continuing conversation that the question here is a question of believability. Amarava, and the, some manuscripts have Rava, but it's probably Rava based on our previous discussion. This is kind of a Rava, kind of a Rava-rich Territory. Amar Rava, ve'i Amar Yisrael ledidi Amar li goy deminach zavna meheman. And Rava said, but if a Jew said that the non-Jew said to me that he bought it from you, then he's believed. Right. So the Jew was giving testimony that the non-Jew said that he bought it from a Jew. Then he is believed. Okay. So then the question is asked, Is it possible? Is there a case? Can we imagine a case where a non-Jew is not believed, but when a Jew reports what that non-Jew said, then the non-Jew, then the, the, the Jew is believed? In other words, this is what the case is. It's, um, Ruvain says that Arnie, your non-Jew, bought this land from Yankel. So that case is believed. But if Arnie would have said, I bought this case from Yankel and I've lived on it for three years, then Arnie's not believed. So why does that make any sense? Why, when Ruvain reports what Arnie said to Yankel, then Ruvain's believed, as opposed to uh, when Arnie would say that Arnie bought it from Yankel. Okay, so... Is it so that doesn't make any sense? Rather, in other words, that's that it should be that the same thing, the same non believability is transferred from the non Jew to the Jew. Ella, now the printed editions have Amarava, 
but we're not going to have a Marava. We'll explain in a minute. Ella, I amar Yisrael, kamididi zavna goy minach vezavna niali mehemon. Rather, if a Jew said that in front of me, the non-Jew bought it and then sold it to me, then he's believed. So in other words, if I was standing here when Arnie bought the land from Yankel and sold it to me, Ruvain, then uh, then Ruvain, then I, Ruvain, am believed. Okay, now the manuscripts don't have Amarava, but also the reason for that, David Weiss Halivni in Makarot to Masarot says this, so it, this is that the proper girsa is without Ella Amarava because this is a Stama Idik line rather than Rava's line. Since the question, Miyikamidi, is so strong that Rava would not answer it. Rather, this line is more of an I Itmar Hachi Itmar, right? The question, when Rava says, I Amar Yisrael Didi Amar Ligai Deminach Zavna Meheiman, that if, that if a Jew reports what the non Jew said about the fact that he bought the land from a Jew, then it's believed. And then the question is, how could that be? It's just moving the believability over one degree. Why would we believe the Jew who reported the non-Jew? So that question is so strong that Rava wouldn't come back, but rather the Stam is saying in the sense of an i-itmar hachi-itmar. And an i-itmar hachi-itmar means he, the Stam is rewriting what Rava said. Right? So it's not an Ella Amar Rava. Rava didn't make another statement. Rava didn't answer it. But rather it's as if the Stam was saying, Rather, if he said it, this is actually what he said. And what did he say? That if the Jew said that in front of me this whole transaction took place, then he's believed. Why? Because if he wanted to, right, the Jew, we have, the Jew is now believed because of amigo. What's the amigo? If he wanted to, he could have said, I bought it from you. And since he made up this complicated story, then in front of me, the, this Arnie bought it from Yankel and then Arnie sold it to me. Then we believe him. Amar Rabbi Yehuda. Okay, second Rabbi Yehuda statement. Hi, Mandanakit Magla Vitovlaya, Vamar Ezel Igzera Lidikla Deplanya, Dezavantamine, Meheman. So here, a second case of where people, where somebody is believed or not believed. When somebody, we had, this is the, the, the Rabbi Yehuda statement that we saw previously in the Sugya. A person goes, takes a, a scythe and a basket or a rope and says, I am going to cut down the dates off that palm tree that belongs to, the palm tree belongs to Plony, but I bought them from him. I either bought the palm tree or I bought the, the dates from him. He's believed, right? He is believed. And actually the uh, Munich manuscript adds in a Maitama, which is, you know, uh, probably implied here. What's the reason? A person is not brazen enough that he would cut off, that he would harvest from a palm tree that did not belong to him. All right. So we saw that before. Same thing here. Again, a question of believability. When do we believe somebody actually owns something? And if you remember there before when we had this sigil, the conversation was around whether or not you need a star for Peyrot. You need a star for for Yusufra, for for fruit, for produce. Okay, another one. The Amar of Yehuda and Rav Yehuda says, "Hayman da achzik miguda de arode ulevar lahavi chazaka." A person who makes a claim, right? Who 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 sits on land that is 
outside of a wall that keeps the keeps donkeys from the field. Right? There's a wall around the field so that the donkeys won't come in and eat the grain. So somebody who makes a claim and that the wall is on the field. So in other words, the walls and the reason the wall is on the field is it walls off the the Meitzar. We previously talked about Meitzar, that the Meitzar is not really part of the field. It's part of the field. It's owned by the field, but it's not really owned by the field. People can walk on it, etc. and so forth. Here, there's a wall that the Balabaya, that the owner of the field puts near this Meitzar, and all the grain that's on the other side, he's basically saying, okay, the donkey, donkeys come and eat. They'll eat that, but they won't get into the field. They'll stop there. And if somebody then comes and says, you know what, this is mine. This this strip of land, which is outside the donkey wall, is my land. So that, Rav Yudah says, is not considered a chazaka, even if he sits there for three three years. My time, oh why? Because the guy who owns the field says, oh, what, he's planting crops there? So what? Uh, that doesn't bother me because the donkeys would have eaten them anyway. That doesn't mean I'm giving up my rights of ownership on the land. I'm just saying, you know, it's for fallen. It doesn't make a difference because it's not going to be, he's not going to be able to uh, uh, benefit from them anyway. And I wouldn't have been able to benefit from them anyway because the donkeys would have come and eaten them. So if he wants to now plant for the donkeys, fine, let him plant for the donkeys. Okay. Fourth rebuta statement of the three. Just kidding. I can't count. So Yehuda says, now what happens if you have a field and the years of Orla, the three years that you're not allowed to eat the fruit off the tree, what's the story with that in terms of Chazaka? That is not a Chazaka. Okay? There's also a Chazaka. If you eat the fruit, in the years of the three years of Orla, or the seventh year, or uh, you eat fruit that are kilayim, that are a mixture of two fruit together, which which are forbidden, so not, none of those things are chazakas. Now there's a whole list of things which are not chazaka except in special cases. Now, we'll go through it, and then we'll see something interesting. Amar of Yosef, Rav Yosef says that if you ate grain, which was kind of dwarf grain, in other words, it, was, it wasn't, it had not, or it hadn't grown fully. So that's also not a chazaka, because it's not considered, uh, uh, you have to wait till the grain is fully grown to eat it in order to consider it for the years of the assumption of ownership. Amarava, Rava says about that, However, Rava says, if this land was in the valley of Machoza, then it is considered a chazaka. Why? This considered, that goes towards the assumption of Moshe because they have so many animals there. They're so wealthy. They have so many animals that they let their animals eat the grain as soon as it grows or they pick the grain for the, they, they harvest the grain as soon as it grows so that they get uh, enough feed to feed the animals. I'm Rav Nachman. Tafticha la have chazaka. Rav Nachman says that tafticha, tafticha is kind of a, a narrow plowing of a, a a superficial plowing of the field. Um, it's not a real plowing. It's a, a kind of a, a a not deep plowing, a superficial plowing of the field. And that's considered, that's not considered chazaka, right? This is just an opening up of the field. It's nothing really done. You just like, I don't know, I guess loosening the, the rocks or something. Rav Nachman says that that is not a chazaka. Afik kura va'ayil kura lahave chazaka. And also, if you bring in a kur and you bring out a core, 
of that's a, a type of fruit. So if you bring in, it's a, a, a measurement, a core is a measurement. If you bring in a core of produce and you bring out a core of produce, that's not a chazaka either because it looks like you're not doing anything. And these folks, in other words, the families of the exilarch, they cannot, they're not considered, if they sit on a piece of land for three years, it's not considered a chazaka. Why? Because we assume that if it's the, the exilarch, right, the family of the folks who are in charge, who are the authority, the political authority, then if they sit on the land, nobody's gonna, everybody's going to be intimidated by them and nobody's going to say, oh, that's, that's not your land. So therefore, they can count that for a chazaka. And the same thing goes the other way around. Um, well, not the same thing, but you can't claim a settlement on their land. Like you can't claim ownership on their land by sitting on it because they, they have so such wide land holdings, such great land holdings that they figure somebody's sitting on their land. All right, fine. That's good. You know, you don't want the land to be empty, but that doesn't mean anything because we have so much land that we basically don't get around to it. But somebody wants to sit there and grow stuff on it. That's, you know, fine. So therefore, it's not considered a chazaka. Okay, so here's the interesting thing. In Ketubot 5a, we have this same statement of Rav Yehuda and the same Brayta, but it says, Achla or La, here it says, Eina Chazaka, and there it says, um, Harezo Chazaka. I know it's exactly the opposite. There it says that if if one eats from the years of Orla, which are the first three years in which there's no, in which you can't eat, so that is considered a chazaka. Now, and the thing is that there, that statement is needed to say, no, the truth is there are a couple of manuscripts here that actually have the, the same version as there. There's a couple of manuscripts here that have the Girsa, the Escorial manuscript, the Hamburg manuscript that have the Girsa, Harezo chazaka. But that doesn't make sense because here the point is things that are not a chazaka, right? And the point there in Tubot is things that are a chazaka. So Rabbi Yehuda needs, the, the statement of Rabbi Yehuda is needed, is necessary there in Tubot to say that it is a chazaka. And here it's necessary to say that it is not a chazaka. So this is something that is called a sugya muhlefet. It's an opposite, it's an opposite sugya, a, a vice versa sugya. And this is known, the Rishonim know it, this is, uh, Tosot has a whole list of them. And it's the result of, uh, you know, different editorship, different, uh, you know, somebody, the person who edited that sugya there didn't, obviously didn't edit this sugya here, and they had a different transmission of the same, of the statement, so that it came down that Reb Yehuda said, according to one transmission, Reb Yehuda said, Achla Arla Eina Chazaka, according to the other uh, transmission, Reb Yehuda said, Achla Arla Harezo Chazaka. Um, and that's just a, uh, kind of a, 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 a small way of shining a light on the fact that different sugyot were edited by different people, different uh, in different yeshivot, perhaps, in different times. Um, and there we have, and, and this, the, the Rishonim already know about it. I mean, it's known in, in the early Middle Ages. There's a list of the various, there's a list in Tosfot, there's a list of other places of the various sugyot muchlafot. This week's podcast is brought to you by Chomi the Circle Maker. Is your business in a rut? Are you looking for an angle? Want a way to pull in some extra bucks? Well, you've come to the right place. Honey is a real rainmaker. No, seriously, he'll make it rain like you've never seen. I'm talking raining buckets. Big buckets. Pouring. Flooding. Come to Honey if you want to hire someone who's going to really make it rain. Honey at www.notametaphor.com. Really, not a metaphor. Okay. Vahavadim. And the slaves. So, going back to the Mishnah, we're now commenting on the next part of the Mishnah, which says the slaves also 
are you have a chazaka in order to claim ownership on a slave? You have to own the slave for three years. Abadim yeshlam chazaka. So is there actually can one actually have a chazaka on a slave? Can one actually claim ownership on a slave for three years? But didn't Reish Lakish say those things that animals that move around by themselves that are, so they're called Godrot because they need to be fenced in. There's no chazak on them because they'll wander around. They'll wander into your property, then they'll wander into somebody else's property. And so slaves seem to be under that same rubric because a slave has his, his or her own will. So Reish Lakish said, Godrot inland chazakas. That seems to challenge this Mishnah. How can you say that, 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 the, the these things don't have a chazaka, and yet slaves do. Amarava ein lahen chazaka alter, So Rava here says that they don't have an immediate chazaka. Right? In other words, so if you have, if a slave comes onto your property, then it's not, then that slave is not immediately yours. That slave is only yours after three years. The Gemara goes on. Rabbi Gozan says that if it was a child, if the slave was was a child in a in a, a cradle or in a you know a, kind of a wrap, then there's immediate chazaka. Why? Because an infant does not move around by themselves, and therefore it's considered as having as having chazaka. Pshita. So why this is this is obvious because it's only those things that move around which is which don't get uh, a chazaka la tzricha no it's needed to say the itla ima because a young child has a mother mao the time oh we have said nechush dilma ime ayalte lahatam kamash malan ima lamanashe bre so why would we have said that maybe we would have taken into account that the child's mother brought it to this property, to this place, and therefore it's the it's it's like a godrod. It's considered like something that's animated because the mother brought it. Kamash Malan teaches us that a ch- a mother would not forget her son. So now this is like I think this is what triggered me on this because this is kind of an intimate portrait of a mother and a son. And the Gemara recognizes that a mother wouldn't forget her son and their relationships between but they're still slaves. And they're still talking about them not in terms of, oh, this is terrible, they're slaves, but they're talking about them, oh, how do we get a chazak on them? How do we how do we own them? And yet we're gonna go on. Hanu easy These goats who ate barley in the Hardea. Ata Marechushla Tafsinhu Tuba. So the owner of the barley caught the goats and demanded a lot of money. Amar Abu Adishmuel, so Abu Adishmuel said, Yachol liton ad kedei demeyam. So Abu Adishmuel said you, they could demand money up until the worth of the goats. De'i bai amar l'kuchotein b'yadi. Because if they wanted, they could have said, well, actually, they're mine because they are in my property. Right? So here's the, that's the thing. These goats went around, they ate barley on somebody's field. And uh, barley's seemingly cheaper than goats, than the goats. Um, but they still demanded an exorbitant amount of money for the amount of barley that they ate, for the barley that they ate. And Abu Shmuel said they could demand as much as they want, as long as, you know, up to the price of the goats, which is way more than the price of the barley, because they could have said, they could have said, look, it's on my property, I bought it, the goats. 
but does not Reish Lakish say that those things that need, the animals that need to be penned in, you can't have a chazaka on them, you can't claim a chazaka by them being there. Shani easy de misira le roet. No, it says goats are different because they're given over to a shepherd, so they're not completely free. A shepherd looks after them. But is there not morning and night? Meaning that a shepherd brings the goats back to town, and not being a shepherd, I've never been part of this, but I am going along with the commentaries that say that the shepherd brings the goat back to town and then just sends the goats home, and the goats go back to wherever, the, whatever place they are, and there's probably a communal shepherd, and then the goats all walk home by themselves. So when they're walking home by themselves, they could just end up in somebody else's yard. So they said in, in the Hardea, there are Arabs, there are a lot of Arabs, and they are the shepherds. And there, the practice is that they pay from hand to hand. So right? they give, they don't just send them home, but actually they bring each goat to uh, the, the, the hand, uh, to, the, to the owner of the goat. So therefore, the goats are not going to wander around and go into a different yard. Okay, Rabbi Shmalamer. So once again, raising the question of what does it mean to own something? What does it mean to have chazakah? Continuing on, Rabbi Shmuel Amesh Lashach Hodeshim. So now, there's, if you remember, we go back in the Mishnah. There is a machloket between Rabbi Shmuel and Rabbi Akiva about what it means to have three years chazaka. Neither of them say it has to be actually three years miyom liyom. Certain things have. Rabbi Shmuel says you need eighteen months, three months, a year, three months. Rabbi Akiva says you need fourteen months, a month, twelve months, a month. So that's what the the Gemara is now commenting on that part of the Mishnah. Rabbi Shmuel Amesh Lashach Hodeshim. Rabbi Shmuel says three months. Meaning three months a year, three months. Lemanir ikabeneo. So let's say that plowing is the difference between Rabbi Shmuel and Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Shmuel savanir lo have chazaka. Rabbi Shmuel says that just plowing is not a chazaka. You have to actually plant something. So that's why you need three months. Rabbi Akiva savanir have chazaka. Rabbi Akiva says that plowing actually is you can get a chazaka from plowing. But actually, if you're going to say plowing, you could plow the field in a day, depending on how big the field is, but you could plow the field in a day. So why do you need a month? It should it be just a day, even in a day, and then a year, and then a day, Rabbi Akiva says, should say that's a chazaka. Rather, everybody holds that, that plowing is not considered a chazaka, not considered a manner of showing ownership. The difference between them is that Rabbi Akiva holds you could plant various kinds of vegetables that grow in a month. And Rabbi Shmuel says, no, you need vegetables that grow in three months. So they're perazuta and perarabba, long-growing vegetables or short-growing vegetables. And Rabbi Shmuel says, no, short-growing vegetables don't count for a chazaka. You need the longer-growing vegetables. It's not Rabbanan. So... There is a rabbinic text that is that will shed light on this, or maybe. Near eno chazaka v'yeshomim havi chazaka harayza chazaka. There's a machloket about whether or not plowing is a chazaka contributes to an assumption of ownership over the land. Those who say yes, and uh, there's the first opinion says yes, and there are those yeshomim. There are those who say no. So then, of course, the stam asks, "Man yeshomim? Who is the yeshomim? Who is the? There are those who say." Amar of Chizr of Achai. Chizr says that it is Rav Achai. The Tanya, because we have a Brita that says 
נרא שנה וזרה בית, נרא בית וזרה שנה, אינה חזקה. So if somebody plowed the field for a year and then planted it for two years, now hopefully they not only planted it but harvested it, or they plowed it for two years without harvesting it, וזרה שנה, and they, they, they planted it for one year, it is not considered a חזקה. So obviously near plowing is not does not go towards the Chazaka, but Rabbi Achomer, Arezo Chazaka, Rabbi Acha says, this is a Chazaka. Amar of Ashi, She'elit kol gedolei hador v'amruli near Arezo Chazaka. So Rabbi Ashi, later, Amara, comes along and says, I asked all of the great sages of the generation, and they said to me that plowing contributes to a Chazaka. You can count plowing in the years of the Chazaka. So that should resonate with those, those of us who are in certain communities. I asked all the Gedolei Adar, and they said, and I asked all the great sages of the generation, and they said, Amrlei, Rav Bibi, the Rav Nachman, my taima, demandamer near habi chazaka. So Rav Bibi says to Rav Nachman, what is the reason of the person who says that plowing is a chazaka? Because it's only plowing. It's not actually planting, and you're not actually using the usufruct. You're not gaining the produce of the field. Because the reason is, the answer is, the reason is that a person, that if I'm plowing your field, you're not going to just be quiet and let me plow. Right? A person is not going to do that. It's one of these low avid inish, like we had before in the Rava case book. We had a bunch of low avid inish or avid inish that people do things. So pe- a person is not going to stand around while somebody else plows his field because obviously that's a sign that that person is making a claim of ownership on the field. My time at demand are near So then, if that's true, what's the reason the other way around? What's the reason for the guy who says that near is not a chazaka? So the reason is, Meymar Amar called Shiba Vishiba Dekarvula Ayilbe. So he says, the reason is that the owner of the field will say, every clump of earth that he wants to turn over, gig is indicted. He should come in and turn it over. Right? So, so therefore, it's not a chazaka because I don't care if you're plowing my field. Why shouldn't I let you plow my field? Do you want to come plow my field? Plow my field. It's still my field. So the students in Pumnahara, residents of Pumnahara, sent to Rav Nachman Barav Chista, Yilamdeinu Rabbeinu. And this is the, the form of a responsa, a form of learning that we had as a whole in the Gaonim, in the Shiltot of Achai, of Shabcha. They're all Yilamdeinu Rabbeinu, and then there's a whole, then there's a Midrash, which ends up in the Tanchuma, Midrash Yilamdeinu. These are Midrashim in which the discourse is around Yilamdeinu Rabbeinu, our master should teach us. Please teach us. In the Shiltot, it's ordered according to the weekly Torah portion, the weekly Parsha. They figure like, for example, when Avram buys a grave for Sarah, so there, there could be a question about what is a chazaka, right? What, how do you gain? Because he's buying a piece of land. Okay. I don't actually remember if that's true, but it could be. Yilamdeinu Rabbeinu, our master should teach us, Nira have chazaka, lo have chazaka. Is plowing a considered a way to get a chazaka, a claim of ownership, or not? Amr Amri near Hareza Chazaka. 
So the, he answered them that Rav Nachman answered these residents of Pumnahara, Ravacha and all the great people of the generation, all the Gedolei said that, that, that plowing is considered a way to get chazaka. Amar Rav Nachman Bar Yitzchak, Rav Nachman Bar Yitzchak replied, Ravuta lemechshev gavre? This is what, what's the, what's so special about counting up people? You think it's so special about counting up people? We have Rav and Shmuel in Babel, and Rabbi Shmuel and Rabbi Akiva in Eretz Yisrael, and there is not many people greater than them who say that near, that plowing is not a chazaka. So then, of course, we have to figure out where they said this. Rabbi Shmuel, Rabbi Akiva, Matznitani. So Rabbi Shmuel and Rabbi Akiva come from our Mishnah, where we, where we decided that Nir was in Chazak. Rav Mahi, but how do we know about Rav Dama, Rabbi Hudama Rav? Rabbi Huda said the name Rav Zudivre, Rabbi Yishmael, Rabbi Akiva, Vachachamim, Omrim, Chazkata, Gimel, Shanim, Yom, Liom. So Rabbi Huda in the name of Rav says, Rav says that in the words of Rabbi, these are the words of Rabbi Yishmael and Rabbi Akiva, either 18 months or 14 months. However, sages say that the Chazaka is three years from day to day. Miyom Leon Lemute Mai. So Miyom Leon, why does it say from day to day? What does that exclude? Lav Lemute Nir Delo does it not exclude plowing? That is not considered Chazaka. So there we have Rav saying that plowing is not a Chazaka. Shmuel Mai. So how do we know, where do we know that Shmuel also agrees that, uh, also says that near, that plowing is not a Chazaka? Dama Rav Yehuda Shmuel, Rav Yehuda again, transmitting Shmuel. Zu divrei Rabbi Shmuel Rabbi Akiva Chachamim Amrim Ad Shigdor Shalosh Gderot Vivtor Gimel B'Tzirot Vimsok Gimel Mesikot. So Rabbi Yehuda says in the name of Shmuel that this is the word these the fourteen or the eighteen months are the words of Rabbi Shmuel Rabbi Akiva. But sages say it's until you get three fig harvests, three grape harvests, or three olive harvests. My ba- so therefore it's obviously not. Near, it's obviously not plowing, right? Amar Abaye, so my benayos. What's the difference between Rab and Shmuel? Dekel Nara Iko benayos. The difference between them is Dekel Nara. So according to Ra, Dekel Nara is a young palm, which apparently, as the parentheses here, which is not, which is a later edition and kind of a commentarial edition, we find the same thing in the Rashbam. Um, because the Dekel Nara, this young palm, is a, uh, you know, gives, has three harvests in a year. So Shmuel would say that that's okay, because Shmuel says, and this is our, would be three Gidirot, three cutting, you know, harvesting of, of the, the dates. Um, and Rav, who says, no, it's Miyom Liyom, um, would say, no, that that doesn't count. Okay, and that's it for us today. We've come to the end. We're leaving ourselves hopefully a little bit unsettled about the question of slaves, still unclear totally about the question of what is a chazaka, right? what exactly it means to own a piece of property. But that's gonna, that question will be hovering above us and maybe we'll have some more formulated answers in a couple of weeks before we get to the next Mishnah, or maybe not. And so it's been a pleasure having you. Thank you so much for joining me in the Beit Midrash in the closet, the safer at home Beit Midrash. Thanks as always to the Dashui team, my wonderful Charuta, Sholata van Robert, 
my amazing producer, Ellie Unger-Sargon, whose own podcast with Jeff Helmreich, Four Cubits, has come back online after a three-year absence. If you want a deep dive into ethical questions of the day, check out Four Cubits. And my thanks to the best comms team on the planet, Shahar Cohen-Hodas, who is responsible for the great logo, the new logo for Daf Shvui. Be well, stay safe. Um, if you enjoyed this podcast, please go to the podcast page and give me a, a rating. It helps other people find it. And even if it doesn't help other people find it, it makes me feel good. Homework for next week, if you can, tell one other person about this podcast and invite them to come and listen to it so that we will all together send out the beautiful sounds of Torah learning across this great country. Be well, stay healthy, 